Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over, he and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmuana, the kings of Midian. That's Judges 8, 4-5. through 5. Hello and how are you? I hope you forgive my mispronunciation. As I've stated many times, I am a strength and conditioning coach. I'm a father. I'm an anatomy and physiology instructor. But biblical scholar, I am not. So uh, I reserve the right to be wrong and the right to mispronounce. So anyways, I picked out that verse for today uh, because it highlights exhaustion and specifically exhaustion due to physical exertion, which is right in line with the glycolytic system, which is our topic for today. But to jump right into the application of within our podcast, Discipleship Conditioning, the first part I point out in that verse or set of verses is exhausted yet pursuing. Now, I will talk about the physical side of that, but first, this is symbolic of our journey as Christians in faith. How often do we we give up? How often do we uh, find that things are difficult, that we're exhausted, and all these negative thoughts come into our mind, and we begin to waver? We begin to give up. You know, if you're anything like me, if you're human, you have periods of high and periods of low. Periods where you're on fire and you're ready to just go attack the world, and periods where you're low and you're just ready to give up. And hopefully, in our training as Christians, as we continue to be in God's Word daily, uh, we resist that and we become more consistent over time. I can see that in my life, and hopefully, you can see that in yours. I'm much more consistent these days than I have ever been in my life. But it's human nature to experience those highs and lows and experience the aforementioned with both those highs and lows. So exhausted yet pursuing in faith is critical because there's a difference between being exhausted and giving up and exhausted yet pursuing. When times are difficult, that's probably the most vital time that we're in our Bible. From a physical side, it's fairly obvious, exhausted yet pursuing. Um, Now, we could get into the weeds on exactly what is meant by this specific verse and why they were pursuing in the context before and after. Again, I'm not a biblical scholar, so that's not my job to do. But what my job is to do is, as a Christian, direct you to the Bible uh, in every episode that we do. I forego the opportunity to name these podcasts whatever I wish, I always choose to name them after the verse, the date and the verse, and then I pick one or two words uh, that apply to it. Today, the word is exhaustion. And so first and foremost, that's why I'm starting this episode and last week's episode with a verse is so that you will be encouraged to listen to this first because it's most important and hopefully open your Bible and look into it further. Uh, I've also changed the verse on the back wall there. my writing as I'm looking at it through my camera now is clearly not as good as my wife's. I don't think I can even read that. And I just wrote it. Uh, so I'll have to work on that. But it's from Revelations 6, 9. Uh, if I said Revelations, I didn't mean to. Revelation 6, 9. Uh, and anyway, so as a Christian, 
uh, in discipleship, that's my primary goal. Regardless of what exercise physiology advice you take from me or any advice you take from me, uh, it is my goal to have you in your Bible more frequently. It is my goal that there's a way that I articulate something that plants a seed within you, that encourages you or promotes growth in your life. So as we talk about this verse further with exhausted yet pursuing, um, what do we do when we're tired Christians? Talked about that just a moment ago. What do we do when we're physically exhausted? Everything is telling us in our body to quit. Just like when we're tired Christians, everything in our body is telling us to give it up. Take the path of least resistance to make things easy, to work smarter, not harder. Uh, but truth be told, anything worth achieving in life, including, including being a Christian and sanctification, is not easy. Otherwise, everybody would do it, right? So in physical fitness, when you're physically exhausted, you can quit. But at that point in time is where you have the most metabolic demand on your body and therefore, continuing into that, you're going to increase the most adaptation that you possibly could as well. Now, I'm going to be clear. When we're talking about this physically exhausted state as it pertains to the glycolytic system, which was probably particularly the case in this specific verse in Judges, this is my least favorite type of training. Um, it's high-intensity interval, uh, interval training, those sorts of things my least favorite style of training. It is hard. It kicks your bottom uh, like no other. It's kind of like I was talking to a student yesterday who previously was a collegiate athlete in the sport of uh, baseball, or not baseball, excuse me, scratch that, basketball. And uh, while baseball is a unique sport, basketball is a very unique sport in that it's very glycolytic dependent. Baseball, you swing, you hit a home run. It's pretty explosive. Even when you're running from one side of the field to the other side of the field, it's pretty explosive in nature, 10 seconds or less. And I use baseball as an example because I just stumbled upon the word baseball when I meant to say basketball. Uh, basketball is very glycolytic. It's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's very unique and challenging in this middle window that we talked about last week and actually talked about two weeks ago, and we're going to talk about it again today. Next part of the verse that I'd like to talk about is key here. Give loaves of bread. Well, what's bread? Carbohydrates, right? And although that's not particularly what they're aiming for here, uh, to have a discussion on macronutrients like I will, uh, clearly they needed an energy source. They were exhausted, so they needed bread, which is primarily carbohydrate-based. And it's funny because in 2023, there seems to be this war on carbohydrates, like they're the worst thing ever. Uh, if you're a child of the 80s, child of the 90s, you remember the whole fat thing, trans fat specifically. Anytime I go to the grocery store as a kid with my parents, on everything, there was zero fat, zero trans fat. That was like the marketing technique. Even in something where there was never fat to begin with, they just threw a sticker on there because fat was the enemy in the 90s. Well, now it's carbs. Now it's sugar. Sugar's the enemy. And it's funny the way nutrition works within our society. It's never just a happy balance, a happy medium. It's always who's to blame as far as a macronutrient. I suppose that protein will be next, although from an exercise physiology standpoint, that'd be really, really silly. And we can talk about that another time because uh, of the three, the most necessary for you is protein. 
But I would argue the second most necessary is actually carbohydrates. It is your primary fuel system. So these warriors who are exhausted and are continuing to pursue, they have strong mental fortitude, obviously, but they still need fuel and they need carbohydrates to continue that fuel. So do diets like the ketogenic diet work? Well, we need to define work to be able to answer that question. And I'm not here to trash any specific diet. I'm one that promotes a homeostatic balance and having everything in proportion and no too much of anything. Um, but what I am against is just the antithesis of that, where we completely eliminate a macronutrient. And not all ketogenic diets do that. Not all Atkins diets do that. Uh, but some do promote zero sugar whatsoever. And some even go to the far extreme and say zero carbohydrates whatsoever. And if you're one of those individuals, I'd like to read a portion of a textbook that I have that can hopefully change your mind regarding that stance. The degradation of fatty acids in the citric acid cycle, fatty acids are broken down remnants of lipids or fats, right? Each fat contains a glycerol backbone and three fatty acids. So we're talking about lipid metabolism here, which would be what you were going for if you are on a very low carbohydrate diet. You're trying to promote fat loss. You're trying to promote the breakdown of these lipid molecules. Citric acid cycle continues only if sufficient oxoacylate or acetate, excuse me, and other intermediates form from carbohydrate breakdown. Now, it doesn't matter that we pronounce that correct or even know what it is. What is important is that it is a metabolic byproduct from carbohydrate breakdown. Okay, now how did we start this sentence? Degradation of fatty acids. Okay, let's continue on. Combine with the acetyl-CoA formed during beta-oxidation. Well, acetyl-CoA can come from the glycolytic system, which we'll talk about today, and enter the citric acid cycle. And it can also come from beta-oxidation and go to the citric acid cycle. So it's a common understanding and perhaps misconception that you can get to the citric acid cycle, either the carbohydrate route or the lipid route, and that there's no difference. But what is wrong is when we exaggerate that we don't need carbohydrates, that we can act, since we can access it through the lipid route, we don't need carbs. But what this statement is saying here, which is true, is that in order to have sufficient oxolacerate, lacetate, excuse me, pronounce that a hundred times and I won't get it right. But the point is, because that comes from carbohydrate breakdown, a simple statement that you can say, which is true, is that fats or lipids burn in a carbohydrate flame. So if you don't have this byproduct from carbohydrate metabolism, you don't have the ability to then burn the lipids. So I like that statement that lipids burn in a carbohydrate flame because it makes sense. It's super simple. It doesn't require all this fancy terminology. What you can use as an analogy is uh, sort of like a bonfire, right? Um, you need to supply a little bit of wood to keep the fire going. 
And if you throw in a whole bunch of wood, you get sort of this blaze. If you keep it going a little bit by little bit, uh, you get this steady fire. Let's just think of having a supply of wood. Again, if you use it all at once, you're going to have this huge bonfire and then, it's, and, and then it's done and the flame is gone, right? And so think of that being analogous to having a little bit of uh, carbohydrate supply and a lot of lipid supply. You're going to spark the fire, you're going to get it going, and you're going to have this huge rise, but then when your carbohydrates run out, it's going to extinguish. You're not going to have any fire left over. Whereas what I would promote is sort of this steady supply of carbohydrates, a healthy, balanced supply of carbohydrates will keep that fire going long term. And as long as that fire is going, you have the ability to then break down lipids. Now, beyond that, the conversation can get complex, and it does dive into more depth in this textbook and many textbooks, but the point is balance, and we all know that, right? So be careful when you hear about these oftentimes fad diets and these recommendations that often are created through social media, uh, which is our first clue that we shouldn't follow this. We shouldn't be getting our diet information from social media. Uh, We should be getting it from trusted resources, whether they are professionals in the field like myself or they are scholastically based research. You choose, but that's where we should be basing our information. And let's be frank, Nobody finds a diet on social media. I can't say nobody. That's not fair. Uh, Very few people find a diet on social media and then go test its validity or check and see if there's any scholastic backing for it. Now, there may not be, and that might be the argument of somebody that doesn't go to those links, but you don't know until you look. And if you look and you find nothing, nothing is still something where you're not going to have anything to back up for that. Um, if you're an early adopter and you jump into a diet very quickly, odds are you're probably going to have to wait close to a decade before that research then catches up and says whether the choice you made was good or bad. So you can look at it a couple ways. If you're an early adopter to uh, a type of diet, and let's use a positive example, vegan. Vegan is a very good diet, a very healthy diet. Certainly for bodybuilders and athletes, I would recommend something else, but there is a lot of research that's coming back to say the vegan diet is a really good quality diet. Uh, If you jumped on that early before the research supported it, you were running a risk. You didn't know technically whether this was good or bad. Now, you knew how you felt, and that's important. You need to treat yourself as a lab study, and you need to validate on yourself as well as through the research, not banking completely on research. But you sort of got bailed out 10 years later where the research said really good things are happening regarding this diet. Um, But the opposite could have happened where turned out there were some very severe consequences to this diet and research wouldn't recommend it. Well, if you're an early adopter, you would have already been on the diet for quite some time. So for me, maybe it's a safe approach. It certainly is a safe approach, but I'd rather be cautious for a period of time until I can find out the research on how it's supportive. And not to press a hot button issue, but I, I, I will. This is similar to vaccines. Okay. A reason why I have elected to wait isn't because I'm an anti-vaxxer. It's because research needs to be done to prove the validity of this specific vaccine. Otherwise, I pretty much have every vaccine that there could be. 
Um, and, and I can go down that rabbit hole uh, to, to make a point, but I think I already have made the point that you need to validate what you're seeing before you begin altering your body. And both vaccines and nutrition alter your body. Anytime you put fuel in, you are then dependent on that fuel to conduct physiological processes. So all this to say, these men were exhausted. What do they request? What do they want? Carbohydrates. They knew back then, just as well as we know now, there is a need for carbohydrates. And again, of the three, I would say that protein ranks number one is the most vital. Carbohydrates, I would rate second. And lipids, I would rate third. But again, I wouldn't recommend extinguishing any of those three. This might come across as I'm an anti-ketogenic person or I'm an anti-lipid person. No diet I've ever adhered to in my life has been lipid-free. There should be balance in all three areas. Generally, for me, I'm probably around 50 to 60% carbohydrates. I'm probably about 20 to 25% proteins and the rest on whatever the percentages are specifically in those ranges. The rest is then lipid-based. And for those of you that don't know, lipids, one gram of lipid is nine calories, whereas proteins and carbs average out to about four. So even when you have 20% of your diet that's lipid base, it's really not as much in terms of the molecular weight, how many grams there are, because you're more than double the caloric value per. So if we need to, we can get into the math on that and I can explain some things if you have interest in it. Um, But that topic's not for today. So as we continue on, um, I, I guess I'm a defender of carbs. In this war against carbs, I'm a defender of carbs. They certainly have their place. And I can state that confidently, not only from my own opinion, but backed with the research to support it. I hope you're enjoying these new introductions. Most of the beginning is going to be biblical. Um, as a Christian, that's what I want to promote as I disciple to listeners of this podcast. Um And again, it's the most important thing. And so it's what I want to begin with. But as we continue on, we enter into our mission statement, which is not the most important thing. We're passionate about our community. We're passionate about the podcast. We're passionate about the business as a whole, uh, but that's not the most important thing. With that all being said, our mission is to bring together Christians who strive to follow the light of God over the darkness of this world to renew our mindsets through shared experience and discipleship so we can enhance our performance, serve our households, and follow God's calling for our lives. Benefit of this, as we're already diving into, again, I've done a little bit more physiology in the intro to this specific podcast, this specific show than I normally do. So we've already kind of tapped into the benefit a little bit. But as I clear my mind and share my depth, I've been talking about depth for a number of weeks and I'm practicing it, trying to achieve depth in all that I do. And I've got some cool stories uh, for to share a little bit later regarding depth and what happened today. But as I clear my mind and share my depth of knowledge with you, I would like to continue this three-part series with how we move metabolically. And what we're talking today and what we've already begun talking about is the glycolytic system. So to recap a little bit last week, we had the phosphagen system. These were exercises that were 12 seconds or less. 
most textbooks will say 10 seconds or less, but in that ballpark. They're explosive. They're right now. They're ready to go. They're not the sport of basketball. They're not the sport of lacrosse. They're not a mile, two miles, five mile, 5K, any of that stuff. Those are all in the glycolytic and aerobic spectrum. Aerobic we'll talk about next week. Today is for glycolytic. Now within the glycolytic system, I've already had my chance to get super nerdy, so I'll refrain from that. And I do try to spend most of my time not on the nerdy side, but in explaining things because you can learn to pronunciate these complex words and understand them, and, and you need to. But where true brilliance is, is when a person can take that knowledge and they can explain it in the layman terms. So I actually spend most of my time teaching, trying to do my best to explain things that are uh, conceptually quite difficult into a tangible format that everybody can can sort of dissolve and, and absorb. And so what I'll introduce is fast and slow glycolysis, okay? Glycolysis, breakdown of glucose. So we've ended the phosphagen system. We're out of ATP. Creatine is not keeping up with the exchange of phosphate. And we're at the 10, 12 second mark. And we need to continue to fuel physiological activity. Well, there's no doubt about it. We can't continue with the rate of explosion or intensity that we were. It's physiologically impossible. Now what we have to do is sort of start the engine on the glycolytic system. And with that engine started, we're going to start breaking down glucose. And we can do it one of two ways. We can do it through fast glycolysis and we can do it through slow glycolysis. Well, they're not different. They're just the outcomes are different. The whole process from beginning to end is almost identical. Literally, the only thing that's different is our end product. And so in both instances, fast glycolysis and slow glycolysis, we start with glucose and we end with pyruvate. But then in what is known as the fate of pyruvate by exercise physiologists is we either convert to lactate or we convert to acetyl-CoA, which we read about in the book here. What the impetus is to create that change one way or the other is whether the intensity is high or low. If the intensity is high and we're trying to maintain as high an intensity as we possibly can, we're trying to take that 90 second cap, about 10 to 90 seconds, and we're trying to stretch that cap, uh, we are in fast glycolysis. And the body says intensity is too high. We need to stay in the glycolytic system and continue breaking down glucose. And it doesn't have time for the fate of pyruvate to then convert to acetyl-CoA and go in the citric acid cycle. So what it does is it creates lactate as a byproduct. Lactate converts to lactic acid. They convert back and forth. The only difference between the two is a missing hydrogen ion for lactate. So a lot of people associate this, especially at the 60, 70, 80, 90 second mark as the burn that you would feel with interval training and those sorts of things. Going back to our basketball example, if you had to run suicides, I don't know why they named them that, but if you had to run that back and forth in basketball practice, you were stimulating this glycolytic system and that burn you would feel at the end, uh, that severely intense burn you would feel is associated with those hydrogen molecules that are lost. So technically, you could say it's associated with lactic acid, but lactic acid converts to lactate and lactate leaves the muscle. The hydrogen remains behind and it binds to what are called myosin heads. And those myosin heads are necessary for contraction. And they cause a physical burning sensation. 
As a side note, if anybody ever tells you to foam roll to get rid of the lactic acid in your body, um, if you're paying them, stop. Don't pay them anymore. Um, Anybody that has at least a bachelor's degree in exercise science, exercise physiology, knows that to be myth or should know that to be myth. Now, it sounds egotistical. It sounds um, too harsh. But you should be training, if you're training with someone, a trainer, personal trainer, strength and conditioning coach, or otherwise, you should be training with somebody that at least has a bachelor's degree in that field. That's my personal opinion. There are certifications out there that license people that just have taken a weekend course and a high school diploma. Um, There are some that are a little bit more rigorous than that, but there are still some that require no college experience. I was a personal trainer under one of those organizations before I went back to college. I was certified with a high school diploma and taking this longer course. It wasn't a weekend course, but it wasn't sufficient uh, to what I was trying to get into. Really, my knowledge wasn't at the depth that it needed to be until my senior year of undergrad. And even then, if you can find somebody with a master's degree, I would promote that. As I've said before, when I entered the master's degree, I was thankful I didn't take the advice of those that said, just do a graduate assistant position in any sort of category whatsoever, uh, because I clearly was not an expert in exercise science at the conclusion of my bachelor's degree. Now, to be fair, I'm still not an expert in exercise physiology. I cringe at the word expert. Uh, Others may call me that, but I don't want to promote myself as having an expertise or promote myself as being an expert in any given field. Yes, the closest field I am to being that awkward word of expert is exercise physiology. Uh, But the reason why I refuse to label myself as an expert in even that field is because I'm a student. We're always learning. We're continually learning. Body, uh, God created our bodies day one. And they were set in place with everything that we're learning. There's nothing new under the sun from what God created day one. That might be a controversial statement, but it's true. In science, we are learning more and more and more about what God created on day one. But the body's not adapting or evolving or becoming something new that it wasn't already. Even the way we adapt, like me putting on muscle over the last 20 years in strength training, was a process that was able in day one. If Adam decided he wanted to get into strength training, his body would have modified the same way that mine can today. So I'm a firm proponent of there being a static situation with human physiology. It is what it is. And it's continued to be that way, but we're learning more and more and more about it. So I will never truly be an expert because our scientific understanding of what God created is inferior and it's, it'll always be inferior. We think we're smart and we think we know a lot about it, but the truth be told, it's the iceberg effect. What we see above the surface of the water is what we understand, but what we do not see below the surface is what we do not understand. And that's true with anything regarding anatomy and physiology. Some cases the iceberg is bigger, some cases the iceberg is smaller, but the effect or the analogy remains true. So why does this matter, fast glycolysis versus slow glycolysis? Well, it it forces you to a specific rate. Let me use an example of when I was in high school, super competitive, and I was in PE, physical education, running the mile. And first couple times I did it, I ran as fast as I possibly could that first lap. You fill in the blank. What happened? 
I certainly did not finish in first place. That's for sure. Uh, I slowed down because my body said, listen, you can't keep up this rate. We can't continue this high intensity of the phosphagen system without falling over, without basically quitting the activity. We have to shift gears down into the glycolytic system. And then after about 90 seconds, the body experiences another shift and says, if you want to continue, we're going to have to shift gears into the aerobic system. And nobody would argue that the rate of speed in which somebody runs 10 miles is a slower rate of speed than the rate at which somebody does a 40-yard dash. It's because the energy systems are completely different. So lesson learned the first couple times I ran the mile and I learned I needed to pace myself. I needed to not fully exhaust the phosphagen system and I needed to remain in that glycolytic system as much as I possibly could. So there would be periods where I went through fast glycolysis and experienced that burn and there would be periods where I went through slow glycolysis and entered the Krebs cycle and maintained a slower rate of speed. Doing that got me to my best mile ever, which was like five minutes and 20 some odd seconds or something like that. Now, I thoroughly did not enjoy the experience, which is why I did not become an aerobic athlete over time. Um, but I was able to accomplish some pretty cool stuff just by feeling out my body. Now, I was 15 years old at this period of time. So in no way did I know what the phosphagen system or the glycolytic system or the aerobic system was. I probably barely even knew what the word glucose stood for. But I could feel, and hopefully as I'm describing this, you can relate to experiences in which you've felt the same thing and uh, relate the exercise physiology that I'm disseminating, that I'm talking about, into an actual situation. If there's any other questions on both the phosphagen system or the glycolytic system or forecasting to next week about the aerobic system, please email us. Hello at erroratphysiology.com is probably the fastest way to get a hold of us. And now let me share some stories that I've been itching to share with you, all pertaining to today, which I had a feeling they would uh, based on what I had scheduled this morning. So as I mentioned last week, I had scheduled every six weeks to go to the firehouse um, here in Boise one of the firehouses here in Boise and deliver coffee and hopefully be able to chat with the guys. And I was very lucky last time I was able to spend 57 minutes with them. And it was just absolutely phenomenal, uh, literally life-changing in some ways. Unfortunately today I got to spend about five to seven minutes with them, but in a unique way that God works, uh, his ways are his ways, not mine. I do not understand them. Uh, what was meant to occur this morning had very little to do with the firehouse, actually. So rewind back six weeks from today, six weeks ago, I arrived at a local coffee shop, Moxie Java. As if you're watching the video, I'm holding up the cup right now. Let me enjoy the coffee for just a moment. And when I was arriving at Moxie Java six weeks ago to pick up the coffee to take to the fire station, and I selected Moxie Java because it's quite close to the fire station, I ran across a group of men that had just finished a Bible study. And it was pretty clear that they were finishing a Bible study. And um, although I'm an introvert and kind of shy, I still will talk to anybody and Obviously, we have something in common. We believe in God. And so I started a conversation with these guys. 
And at that point in time, I was really trying to hone in on contentment. This is before I really started feeling the need for depth. I was feeling the need to be content with what I have. And so I asked them for a book recommendation on contentment. And uh, that led to further conversation. And they said, you know, we're, we're headed out right now. Excuse me. We're headed out right now, but we're here every Wednesday at 6.30. And uh, if you want to come by, I'd love to chat with you. So I, I took a mental note of that, and I kind of wrote down in my mind that when the next time comes up, when six weeks comes up, and I go back to the firehouse, I'm going to show up at 6.30 instead of 8 or 8.30, and uh, I'm going to I'm gonna have coffee with these guys and have a conversation. So that's what I did this morning. I showed up around 6.00. And uh, as they began to arrive, I introduced myself. One of them remembered me. A couple others didn't. Um, but they invited me to sit at their table with them, and I happily accepted. Within the first probably two to three minutes, uh, they found out that I'm Christian, and they announced that they're Catholic. And uh, it was just what the doctor ordered. It was fantastic. Really on my heart as of late, along with depth, is this reduction in judgment. Uh, far too often, as I've said before on the podcast, we have these maybe even innate needs to divide. Um, now, they're sinful needs. They're sinful, maybe not needs, but sinful uh, ways that we act to create division. You know, There are denominations in Christianity that agree on 95% of the Bible, but the 5% they don't agree on, they choose to divide over. Um and again, I'm not a biblical scholar, so we can save that for another day or perhaps pass that on to somebody more worthy to talk about that specifically. But whether I understand the 5% or the 95% for that matter, I don't feel peace with that division. I feel like I should be able to sit with a atheist, that I should be able to sit with a Catholic, that I should be able to sit with a Mormon and have a respectable conversation with them. I'm a very conservative male. I should be able to sit with whatever my opposite is, a liberal female, and have a respectable conversation with a human because they're human beings just like me. And whether they acknowledge it or not, they were created in God's likeness. And so how can I best see God's handiwork in them? I'll give credit where credit is due. Learning that through a book that I just recently concluded called Let Go and Let God by Albert E. Cliff, and I hope I'm pronouncing the last name correctly because it's written as Cliff E., but I don't think it's pronounced that way. Uh, all in all, honestly, I probably wouldn't recommend the book. There's some things that I have an issue with in the book, but the biggest positive takeaway from the book that I have is that we need to love each other and we need to see God's handiwork uh, in each person regardless of whether they profess Christ as their Savior or not. Had some really cool conversations since then uh, with some, some close friends and with members of this men's group this morning. And I don't walk away from the group converting to Catholicism. In fact, I'm more Christian than I was earlier this morning um, because I adamantly disagree with some of the stances within Catholicism. But I love them. And I'm thankful for the experience and the education that they provided me. And it wasn't somebody who's also a Christian telling me these things about Catholicism. Uh, it was a Catholic telling me about their faith. 
and it was a very respectable conversation, and I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Took that on to the firehouse, and they were getting ready for some training, so I was only able to spend about five to seven minutes with them, um, but did my best to plant the seed and just be kind and have depth with them. As a strength and conditioning coach, I kind of wanted to ask, who should I contact within the fire department uh, that's responsible for strength and conditioning through all the different stations in Boise? But I didn't feel it was right to do that at that point in time. That was a selfishness, not what I'm called to do, and that's to be a good human being and to plant the seed and be respectful. And so I tried to focus, since I only had a brief period of time, I tried to focus on those individuals and letting them know how much people like us appreciate the selfish work, selfless, not selfish, selfless work that they do on a daily basis. I don't know if I'll continue going to the firehouse. Four out of five times, the bell has rang within like eight minutes or less. Um, I think, I think I probably will from time to time, but as I continue to connect with these men, I think I'm more likely to aim for time with them outside of their employment where we can get together for a lunch or a coffee or, or whatever and really have some as close to guaranteed in-depth conversation as we can possibly have. So excited to share that with you. Love the way that God is working in our lives and thankful that he is working through us and showing us little bits and pieces of the story of our lives. We can accomplish nothing without him. The best we can do is be submissive to his will and continue to do what he wishes that we do to the best of our ability. We've always been self-sponsored. I have a feeling we always will be. That's error at physiology.com. Please go there if you're interested in anything that we've talked about further. What you'll find there are two things primarily, the podcast and the community. We invite you into the community. Uh, we're looking to grow the community. We're looking to start a Bible study within the community. I'm looking to create exercise physiology courses in the community and have those available to all members that are within that community. As a, I wouldn't call it necessarily a pipe dream, but longer down the railroad tracks, if you will, um, we're, we're going to form a master class in there, which will be associated with this as well. So we're really excited to see where that community goes. Within that community, you'll find me as well as my wife. We have a section for men only and a section for women only. Uh, my wife is passionate about discipling to women with experiences similar to what she's gone through in her life, just as I'm passionate about discipling to men who have had similar experiences to me. If you'd like to reach out, you can go to our website, a number of websites that we have, community.erratphysiology.com, podcast.erratphysiology.com, and a new one, links.erratphysiology.com. I've done that. I've created a webpage with links for all the book recommendations, affiliate programs that I'm affiliated with, and all sorts of things. That way you don't have to scroll through the notes of this podcast or this video to find the link that you're looking for. You can just click on that link, links.erratphysiology.com, and you can go to it and then look at the different books and uh, purchase a book from there if you'd like. Uh, and then our emails. I've already announced one, hello at erratphysiology.com, and then prayer requests, prayer at erratphysiology.com. If you have prayer requests, we would love to pray for you. Please send them in. So what's the main take-home message from today? And I'd like to keep these episodes around 30 minutes. I'm a talker, definitely. 
and I had a feeling I would go over today, but let me kind of wrap things up a little bit here. So our take-home message is how can you utilize exhaustion to your benefit? Not tap out when you get exhausted, but how can you utilize it to your benefit? How can you go a step further? And this is applicable both in faith and physical exertion. And let's conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.